All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? Whew, what's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? Are you okay? Are you, though? Seriously. Look at me. Look at me. Are you okay? Come on. Come on. What's going on? What's going on? Double header today. There's been a couple of these because what happens is, as some of you know who listen to the show, I, I do rarely do interviews with uh, people again. I'll have them if they're a friend of the show or I like them or they're my pal. I'll let them do shorties, as we call them, uh, to promote something. But uh, the last few shorties have been a little longer than shorties, so I had to put two shorties together. And today I got Sue Costello on the show for a bit and Jim Gaffigan on show for a bit. Both of them have some things going on. As I do, might I tell you about it? I am touring a bit of the country. Now, I am getting a lot of tweets from people who are like, when are you coming here? When are you coming there? Philly, when are you coming to, to uh, Buffalo? What it, whatever it is, this is really a tour to sort of um, get an hour in place and uh, you know, do, uh, you know, work out some stuff. Uh, I imagine I'll do a broader tour in the maybe the spring but uh, for now i'll be at wise guys in uh, salt lake city utah august 3rd and 4th i will be at the comedy attic in bloomington indiana august 31st through september 1st i'll be at acme comedy club from that's in minneapolis september 6th through the 8th and i will be at the comedy works in denver colorado september 21st and 22nd and I'll do a one-nighter at Stand Up Live in October. That's in Phoenix. Now, all these dates are selling quickly. Minneapolis is almost sold out. I don't know where Indiana is at. But uh, if you want to come, uh, you know, come. But get tickets now. Go to WTFpod.com uh, slash tour uh, for all the links. And uh, there you go. So I, I'm starting to, to shift a little bit. I'm starting to shift... A bit on the on the superhero movie, um, not not my argument or and not my condescension. I, I still have those, but I, I have found an avenue for some empathy. And and uh, and look, I didn't read comic books as a kid. I didn't, but it sort of did. I read them as a grown up, but they weren't the Marvels. It doesn't matter, but it kind of does matter in terms of when I grew up. And uh, what I grew up surrounded with. And look, when you're a kid, even when you're not a kid, when you're a fucking grown up, you may think you have a good handle on, you know, what you let into your brain and how it affects your brain. But you do not. Uh, You've got to have some real resilience and strength of character and ability to process what is affecting your desire system or pummeling your uh, ability to be attached to reality in, in a fairly concerted way, especially if you're a news junkie or, you know, you're constantly engaged with uh, online content, uh, your brain, no matter what you think you are, or who you think you are, is fairly malleable. And it can happen on very um, kind of uh, subtle levels. You know, I don't know why sometimes when I decide to do something, you know, within a month, I noticed uh, a lot of people are doing it. And I don't uh, I don't think I'm really susceptible to that stuff. But I am, whether it be boots, records. Uh, a type of car, you, you know, like it, it all, somehow or another, there is a frequency. There is kind of a, a vibration in the fucking zeitgeist 
that uh, generates consolidation of desire around certain products. But in terms of the superhero movies, like I still am completely on board with my argument. But uh, you know what? It was funny because Box Brown, comic book artist, and uh, he did some he did some great books. Did a, his last book was about Andy Kaufman. It's great. I read his stuff. But he was tweeting about this stuff a, a little bit, and it kind of provoked uh, me to take a look at it. There's some interesting stuff about growing up in the '80s, where some things went down. Some things went down in terms of deregulation that may have affected some of you people. Now, look, by, by 1981, I'm graduating high school. By 85, I'm in college and I'm well on my way to picking through the wreckage of uh, the culture's past to somehow figure out what's uh, exciting and important, whether it be Beatniks, Bukowski, uh, the old music, the old movies. You know, I was I was on a, a, a sort of like pseudo intellectual trajectory at that point, which uh, I seem to have completed. But what I'm trying to say is there was an FCC chairman named Mark Fowler, and this is during the Reagan administration, and they did some fairly serious deregulating that, you know, had to do with uh with advertising, but more concisely to my argument, have something to do with uh, the child brain. Yes, they they allowed they, they they sought to declare the television an appliance and not the uh, the incredibly powerful desire shifting hypnotic box that it is. They were able to get rid of regulations around advertising to children on children's programming. They could dump as much shit into the kids heads as they wanted to. Okay, and then at this time, like Star Wars, I kind of missed that. I was young enough, maybe, but it didn't interest me that much. But after Star Wars, there was this movement towards toys. And, you know, this isn't specifically about comic books, but after the success of the Star Wars toys, which happened with a small manufacturer, uh, the large manufacturers are are what can we do? And at around the same time, they got the freedom to plow as much shit into kids' heads as they could. And they invented He-Man. Now, He-Man wasn't even a real comic book character. But they sold the fuck out of that thing and they built a comic book around it and they created a show around it and they and they plowed that into the heads of kids, you know, all day long in the 80s. And they could do this with anything. Actually, there was plenty of programming, children's programming with superhero style stuff that was basically just a prolonged advertisement to shove a toy into your kids hands. So. This is, a, this is a big deal because you were young. You know, I was too old for this to happen, but I know that some of you who may feel so um, hurt or upset, maybe you don't even understand why you're so upset with my perfectly reasonable assessment of the problem with superhero movies and its effect on culture. Seems like some of you take it very personally. Like there's, like, like it, there's a reactiveness to it, a defensiveness to it that, that may come from shame. You know, and I'm like, I might take a step further. It might come from, from what I would almost call trauma in that, you know, when you were a kid, you were brain raped by He-Man. And, and, I, and I feel bad about that, that, that Republican deregulations in the 80s enabled toy manufacturers to, to, to let you be brain raped by He-Man. But uh, here, here's what I'm saying is to, to some of you who are taking it so personally and so upset, you know, I, I understand. I empathize. I understand now. You were, you were brain raped by He-Man. And you were not old enough to defend yourself. And now 
you just, you know, you have that little hidden kernel of shame in your heart and, and you don't quite understand why, but you'll defend superhero movies as if they're actually going to save the planet. So that's that part of it. So there is something that happened analogous to, uh, to uh, you know, allowing the children of our nation to be brain fucked mind raped by he-man thus creating a dysfunctional but uh, almost um love for the predator for the victimizer for the abuser that manifests itself in a shameful uh sort of connection and adoration and uh, uh deep uh troubling love for superheroes is that around the same time in the 80s the, during the deregulation craze of mark fowler at the FCC, who started to sort of like get rid of the fairness doctrine. And over time, it dissolved, where equal time had to be uh, uh, granted to both sides if, uh, if political pundits or ideologues were appearing on TV shows. So that was sort of around the same time during Reagan. That was gotten rid of as well, which opened the door to uh, constant political programming with ideological bias, which was the seeds and the beginning of uh, the unleashing of Fox News and the situation we are in politically now, culturally and politically. So there you have two sides of the repercussions and results of deregulation, Republican leadership in the 80s with Reagan. You have a, you have a, a whole generation of kids starting in the mid 80s who, uh, who are now grownups and uh, uh, just sort of like, you know, like reactively defend superheroes just shy of stomping up and down. And you have Donald Trump. They're two different camps. I know a lot of the people who are into superheroes are progressive people, but uh, but it's just but it's interesting. Isn't it interesting? So Sue Costello, who is my guest, uh, this is a, a fast paced uh, jaunt here. She's uh, mounting a production of the I Am Sue Costello Experience at the Masonic Theater in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery this October. She set up a GoFundMe page for it at GoFundMe.com slash I am Sue Costello. You can see more about the productions of the play when she did it in New York and New England at SueCostello.com. You can also check out her podcast there. Uh, Sue and I go way back and she she had something to talk about. So she came on the show because I like talking to Sue Costello. This is me and Sue Costello. Is it too intimate? No, I like it. To be in a, in a hotel room doing a podcast? It feels like... Like it's not as big a, not as big a deal. It's like the yeah, the old days. Like yeah, we, it's just like when huh. we start out. Is this real? <laughs> you just, yeah, I got a great idea. So come over to my yeah, hotel room. Yeah. Wait no. a minute. We're not supposed to be having meetings in hotel yeah, rooms. Yeah, not anymore. anymore. This isn't a meeting. This is actually <laughs> a studio. It's officially a studio. No, not just a meeting. It's a, it's all on the level, Sue. On the level. Well, I know how to protect myself, so. Oh, oh, that's right. You're, you're like, do you still? Are you like still? How's how are you in good shape? I'm in good shape. You look like you're in good shape. Thank you. What do you What do you do for uh, the exercise? Yoga. It's all yoga now. All yoga. No jumping around. No jumping around. No boxing. No boxing. <laughs> the boxing was a period in time when I had to get all the anger out. And it's out. Mm-hmm. No more anger. Mm-mm. Well, it comes 
in moments and then yeah. it passes. How, does it, how do you get it to pass? No, seriously. Boundaries. Oh, you mean angry with people in moments? You have boundaries? But like, what if you're just sitting around seething? What if your brain's just sort of like, well, this stinks and I'm fucked? It doesn't do that. It, it doesn't do it? Mm-mm. Never did? Yeah, it did. Oh. So it doesn't do it anymore. I healed that. You healed it? Mm-hmm. By? By walking through it. Yeah? Yeah, that's when I really learned is that all my work now is all about this when theory hits the rub, you know, when the rubber hits the road, when theory hits reality, like yeah. what is it really? And how do you really change in, in the whole country? Now, the isolation is what's killing people. And I've always, I mean, I've been saying this stuff for 20 years. Yeah. I've been saying it for 30 years. Yeah. And now it's all coming to fruition, that what I've always said, which is where the isolation is what was killing us because we were all in our brains. Right. And not connecting. Or now it's separated in our little pods of information. Not just in our brains, but now we can now choose which reality we want to engage in while we're sitting there in our brains. Well, it's also dehumanizing us, which is what I've always talked about. Dehumanizing how? Well, we're not considering each other as human beings. I mean, we can get going okay. right now from this from the get-go with this. So everybody's talking about how we're going to turn into computers. Yeah. We are going to turn into computers if something drastic doesn't happen. And I believe with every fiber in my body that we were on the verge of one of the biggest spiritual revolutions that history has ever seen. And now we're, we're, are, we're on it now. Yes, we're on it now. So there's hope. Oh my God! There's so much hope. Yeah. There's all there is is hope now. Yeah. Yeah. All that's, that's all, all we there got. Is. Well, because when is humanity <laughs> going to come together? When things get really shitty. When we're about to go, be extinct. Yeah. That's when I have. I've. All, but I've been saying. I'm telling you, for 30 years, I've been saying this, and they crush me, 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 crush me. They oh, crush yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that not because you were saying that. Yeah, in by, a way, because I was saying it because they didn't want to hear it. Uh-huh. They wanted to do the build-up first. They wanted to do the greed and the money and the whole thing first. Right. So are you are you abiding by any um, prophecy other than your own? No. No. I'm I'm trusting the force. Yeah, the force that you have harnessed. Yes, and you know what's weird is I really have <laughs> harnessed it because so yeah. you, we were just talking about uh, being defensive before right. we turned on the mics, right? So what I realized, yeah, no one knows that about me. So now yeah, you just everybody. I mean, everybody's <laughs> de- defensive and like so. Yeah. So I'm from Boston. I was, and I all be- I believe that we all come into the world, of course. Yeah. Pure. Yeah. And then we get for about a, about a day. Well, we get <laughs> depending on but the then, situation. Okay, so what I figured out is that we yeah. all come into the world pure. Yeah. And the second we exit the womb, we are body autonomous. Yeah. So no mother, no person outside of you can do anything. You are like on your own. Kinda. Yeah. No, I mean the second you come out of your womb, I, I've, I've, what my understanding is, you, you can't just, uh, you know, start your life on your own at that point. Well, because uh, you gonna, need somebody to take care of you up until the point that. Yes, and they need to pay the rent for you and eat, but even Protect if, you, feed you, teach you how to speak, uh, you know, that stuff. Right, but even that yeah. is formed through... You. ...society. Sure, yeah, Socialization yeah, is obviously, yeah. through... But there's a symbiotic thing that happens between you and your mother, even if it uh, if it's di- disrupted. There is a primal uh, union that, uh, you know, that you are, you know, in with them, and it happens on a psychic level and biological level. Which brings us we're going right at it so the human thing so yeah the human thing i feel like we're on the, the verge of a spiritual yeah revolution Good. and so you're talking about the moms in the in the primal connection yeah. yeah so yes our mom is our as our primary caregiver yeah so what's going on with the men nowadays yeah 
is it's all mommy issues. It's mommy and daddy issues. What's uh-huh. going on with the women and the men actually? Uh-huh. But but for women, we can turn from our primary caregiver to have sex. Men can't. Yeah. Men have to have sex with the same sex. Well, if you're straight, yeah. same sex as their primary caregiver. So it's much more complicated for men. Yeah. We're once removed. So now how does this all factor into what's happening with you now? Well, I've been, since I started my career, I've been, I always, I always talked about love. I listened to the first WTF yesterday. That, that I, we did. I had never listened to it before. Seven years ago. Never listened to it before. Huh. And I was like, oh my God, everything I talked about then, I wasn't conscious of yet. Yeah. But I knew it. But you were coming out of some pretty hard times then, as I recall. I was coming out of some really hard times, but now I'm like, oh, I had to go through those hard times. Like, so now I have perspective and I'm, now I look back and I go, I, I almost brought it on myself so that I could. Oh, yeah? It's like the hero's journey is what happened to me. Sure, sure. Like, uh, you did, have you been reading some Joseph Campbell? No, people told me about it, though, and it sounds like the same thing. I mean, I think that, <laughs> here's the thing, too. These stories, yeah. they're all the same. Sure, of course they are. If you, if, if you do actually, tra- if you do get through the hardships and then rise above them to a, a different place, if there's a transformation. Yes. You, that's a hero's journey. You, you don't want the anti-hero's journey. But there are a lot of people that are anti-heroes. Oh, the, the streets are filled with them. Yes. Yeah. And you so, cannot save those people. So let's break it down, like, just from what we talked about so so far. Because okay. you're putting together a, a new show, right? I'm putting together. A, a, I have so much going on. But, I have, like... But the show is going to save humanity. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. They tell them that, Mike. That would be great. <laughs> That's hilarious, because then they'll twist it and be like, Sue, and then it will be all good. You just set me up to go all the way down by saying that. That's all that, they need no, is that one that. sound I don't, clip. I do not have that much power. Yes. Do. That's all they need is that one sound clip no, that they I, say, I, Sue, I think, and then they'll say, I said it, and no, they'll say, that, Sue Costello said she was going to save I humanity. I don't think anyone's uh, you know that concerned about either of us. And I'll tell you, Sue, if, <laughs> if, if, if it goes viral that you're going to save humanity, then it, it'll be a good first week of the show. But I'll have to really live up to that. That will be a lot no, to live up to. No, don't pressure yourself. Yeah, yeah. From what you're telling <laughs> you're me. You're totally setting me up right now. No, from, from what you've told me, you've been sort of saving humanity from for 30 years. But that's, see, it's funny how you're saying, you're taking my words, you're twisting it, and you're sending it out on your podcast, and so your listeners are going to listen to what you said, and I didn't say that. Okay, well, what you said is that we are on the verge of a spiritual um, uh, catharsis, culturally. Right, and then you turned that into me saying I'm saving humanity. So how did you get to that? How I got to that was that, you know, you talked about love, you talked about personal transformation, you talked about knowing what's happening, what's going to happen 30 years ago, and that you have a lot of hope. So I was figuring the art you're putting into the world is going to be proactive. I exaggerated. Absolutely proactive. Okay. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm underestimating myself. Maybe it will help <laughs> humanity. Well, I would hope so. It sounds from like from where you're coming from. Sure it will. Well, that's so. So I've been doing the play. I've been yeah. doing. I, I have my podcast. So the every, same play, or how's that evolved? Play, same play. It's What's called, it called again? I am Sue Custom. Right, and that's on your pants. It's on the label of your je- your jean pants, your, your shorts. Hashtag I am Sue Costello. Yeah. So it used to be called Minus 32 Million Words when I Did was Did you here. make those labels for your shorts? No, somebody made them for me. Oh, that's nice. It's cool, right? Yeah, who who, ma- who makes labels for your shorts? That Some lady you have your hashtag Union Square. On? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. And all the girls are like, oh, those are cool. Oh, well, yeah. those are cool. And then yeah. you just do a little bit of branding. That's what I said to you when you were on Good Morning America this morning. That yeah. The visual of you. Yeah. People, visual is important, especially nowadays. They don't have the attention span. So even though it was, you felt like it went fast, they still got the visual of you on the TV and that might be enough for people to register nowadays. Sure. Yeah, I don't take it too seriously. Not as seriously as I used to. You know, I, I, I dressed up nice and I combed my hair 
and I showed up and I was present and I answered the questions and I talked about my show and and then I left. It That's happened. good, but then you don't get so emotionally involved and you're like, okay, there you go. There's another little. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I just after you do, there's another little. There's another little. There's another little. Do they all add up? I don't know. You know, from what you said at the beginning, that people are isolated in their minds and now because of the computer, they're stuck in a, in a sort of a, a non-reality that's di- disconnected from other from real people that uh, you know where is it really going what's really happening does it register at all or is it just moms getting their kids ready for school they look over at the computer and go that guy's got a, a trimmed beard and then they turn away and that's the end of it I don't know but uh, which but, goes back to again that yeah. everybody has this theory that we're going to turn into computers we're creating these computers that are going to be more powerful and smart than us and they're going to take oh, they're, over they're already here right the and singularity you're talking about yes yes the AI all that stuff so my theory is yes not my theory. Yeah. My sole belief, my whole purpose for being on this earth uh-huh. is to talk about humanity. Yeah. Because I feel like that's the whole... Humanity and humility. Well, yeah. Humility is so strong, though. That's yeah. what I'm learning is yeah. when you crush the ego, yeah. the humility gets you everything. Sure. The because, ego kills you. Yeah, because you're now like, you know, you're fully present with your heart. What I've been working on is transcending all of it, transcending gender, transcending race, trans going to the spirit. Like, yeah. And so I've been like doing like this human uh, guinea pig. Uh-huh. I've been like this human uh, forensic accountant of like what's really going on. And, how, how, and, and, and what activities do you do to do that? Well, I just, I show up, no matter what fear comes, everybody says to me, Sue, how do you cope? And I'm like, it's not coping. What I'm actually doing is I'm actually engaging in life. And that's what I think people aren't doing because we're taught, we've been grind down so much to not have any feelings and we all have feelings. So, and it's my belief that it's all coming out on the earth now. It's all, I mean, this was the play years ago and I didn't, I wrote it before I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. So what's going on internally is happening externally to ourselves. We're actually doing it to ourselves with the energy. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So what I've been doing is is trying to walk through the fear in my brain, the isolation that keeps me this like this film. It's almost like uh, I want to say the Wizard of Oz. I want to say that you see all those things that say behind that little veil of fear is everything you ever wanted. Yeah. Crabs in a bucket. I called it in my play. Uh huh. There's like four people that told you you can't do something, and then there's seventy five million that believe you can. Uh huh. But to break through those four, break through what's in your head. Yeah. Sure. And then, and then I read, I'm, and I've been reading and studying and listening to people my whole career. That's all I've been doing. Yeah. Because all I've done is suffered sexism my whole career. I've literally been, they've taken my money, they've grabbed my ass, they've done every everything that's happened now. I'm like, I've already been through all of it. So uh, I'm like. Assault as well? Assault in terms of. Like. Uh, grabbing your ass is assault. Right. But that like, but like, uh, what, what other things like, um, like when you say that. I've never been raped. So the point as I was coming down on the train, I was thinking, and I'm learning, like I would have been with somebody that said, why don't they just say something? Yeah. And so I read about it and it's like, it, it literally says that women don't say anything because they're, they can't even speak. Yeah. Because they're saying this isn't happening. Yeah. yeah and right. I was like, oh. Yeah. That, that happens in life when you haven't even, when you haven't been raped either, you, a lot of resistance to what's going on is like, this isn't happening. So we can't take care of ourselves. So the trauma, the abuse. And then I read about how when they, uh, when a rape victim goes on trial, what they do is they try to trigger the PTSD. Huh. And I was like, Oh, that's what they, that's what's going on. That's why they had this whole me too movement because of all the abuse that's been going on. So I was thinking, okay, so I don't know what it's like to be raped, but I know what it's like to be abused. So I'm like, well, why don't I try to lean into all of this for all of us? Great. Let me see if I can lean in 
because I don't have the, that extra pain, which I can't even imagine. And let me see if I can research it and then articulate it for women. Great. So that we can change. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So how are you doing that? So I did, it started last time. Well, I did it with the play. I've been doing it with the play all along. I had no idea what I was doing. Does the play evolve? Do you the play add is completely evolving. And not only is it evolving, so now it's, I did it uh, two weeks ago, and it was the first time I felt comfortable enough to have a talk back afterwards. Oh, wow. Because, you know, you're vulnerable putting yourself yeah, out there. Yeah. And I'm like, but I want to see, because this, this brand that I'm building is all about building community, letting people talk. All for solution, though. Sure. Not for division. Everybody's so divided. I'm like, let's go. The, I want to just give them a, a role model of something that's completely different than what's out there right now. Yeah. And especially for younger women, like I want them to have a role model that's like, oh, it's cool to get older. <laughs> oh, you get smarter as you get older <laughs> if you don't give up. Like, right. oh, you get more power as you get older. You yeah. get... Yeah. So that's, I want to become just something else that people can look at, like almost turning the lens. I don't want to change the world. I just want to turn the lens a little and go, if you don't like what's going on over there, look at this and see if maybe this is what you like. Right. Or, or whether you can take action in the, within the world that you are, exist in for yourself that will be proactive and, and have a change there. And also, it's okay to be in the world that you exist in, which is another thing that's causing human beings a ton of pain where they taught us like, you got to be rich, you got to be this, you got to be that, yeah. you got to be this. And like people that do blue collar jobs, like the middle class has been wiped out because of all this, like uh, of the advertising and I'm telling you, you need to be rich and the addiction and everybody thinking they need more and get being more than their neighbors and more, 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 more. Yeah. And I talked about this six years ago. You can go back and listen to the, I, the idea of like, not being in the present. Like I was on stage one night and this guy's like, I said, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm a mechanic. It's not that great of a job. And I was like, why? I'm like, e everybody drives. We all need mechanics. And his whole face lit up. <laughs> yeah, right. Because he's judging himself against what we have grown to believe success is. Yes. Because of cultural pressure and, and uh, status. But he wants to be a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And so this whole- But, but, but he's been taught by uh, the culture that that's not worthy. That's not enough. He's just literally torturing himself right. for no reason because he doesn't need to torture himself and he is very valuable to us. Absolutely. And so that's the idea. This whole middle class thing has been wiped out. It's like that was America. Mm. That was the heart of America, the middle class. You were allowed to not, capitalism was supposed to be you take risks and you get to build a business and you get to make more money. Yeah. If you want to do that. The middle class and then the people that were poor, and yes, some of the people that are poor, they do take advantage of the system. What It's it just part of the equation. Like if you own a bar, yeah. when you do the uh, accounting of the bar, you, you factor in that you're going to get stolen from. Right. <laughs> it's just part of life like all this resistance to this perfection and how it should be is what's caught I mean and all the spiritual leaders talk about this this separateness and that's sure. what causes us to so what about what are some of the other things that you talked about because when, when you came in you were excited uh, about how much of what you said you were going to do you did Okay. So what? What is? So that? I listened yesterday. So Lawrence Fishburne and Les Moonves were two people that I talked about a, a, a six years ago. Yeah. And I talked about how Les Moonves always believed in me when you had the show uh, when Costello was on. Before Costello, he's the first guy to give me my deal. Yeah. For and for the show that ran. Uh, uh, for no, he gave me my first deal, and I did a pilot. Yeah. And then from that pilot, I was supposed to be on Murphy Brown. Right. And then, but what what happened with Murphy? Which is so funny because Murphy Brown's coming back. It's like everything's <laughs> yeah. coming full circle. Yeah. So what I found out later on is he wanted to keep me on CBS. I was supposed to go to ABC. And so he, he kind of pushed me on Murphy Brown and she yeah. wasn't having it. And, right. and there was a great example of pitting women against each other. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. 
because I thought it was Murphy Brown all the time, and I, I mean, Candace Bergen, and it wasn't. I'm like, it makes sense that she flexed her muscles back. Yeah. But I didn't know. I was just a pawn. It wasn't her. She didn't want to be pushed around, which yeah. makes sense. Sure. Especially back then, being a woman. I mean, yeah. can you imagine? Now, yeah. in hindsight. You got your little piece, you know, and now someone's Yeah, and then she's like, who's this young girl coming in who's the star, and they're going to use my show? Yeah. In my head, I thought it was a great move, because I thought I was going to learn from somebody. Yeah. Right, but she didn't see it that way. She didn't know you. No. Right. And now that I'm older and smarter, I'm like, of course she didn't. That yeah. was naive of me, but I didn't know. So then what happened? A couple of years before that, I met with ABC. ABC came to me because Katie Couric's show got canceled. Yeah. And they wanted me to take over for Katie Couric. They wanted me to do a talk show. Yeah. And I thought back to when I had my TV shows, when I had the TV deals, the head of MGM kept saying to me, Sue, you need to do a talk show because you have Oprah-like qualities. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't have the self-esteem and I was like, I, but I'm a sitcom person. Yeah. So then ABC came to me. So I was like, all right, maybe this is the way I should go. Okay, this maybe this is the way I should go. So I go and I meet with them. Uh-huh. And I told them that I wanted to do my talk show and my talk show was going to be because the celebrity myth was breaking. Uh-huh. It was over because of social media. Yeah. I wanted to bring humanity back to everybody so that we could all, so it wouldn't turn into a big mess. Right. And so I wanted to do a talk show where I had a celebrity. Uh-huh. And you were there, my Hope Trump's Fear storytelling event. So I did oh, that storytelling right. yeah, event. Yeah. With Trump's name in it a long time ago. Yeah. That, so I was I, on the show, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I've been forecasting stuff before it's happened, long before it even happened. So right. that storytelling event was where you had to tell a story where hope overcame fear. Yeah. And it was hilarious watching you and a couple other people who were very cynical have to come around to hope. It was That was one of the funniest part of the whole thing was to watch. <laughs> watch to, Mark to, come around to hope. Yes, to set up like uh-huh. the perimeters where somebody yeah. had to find the hope in the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And everybody said that was the best night they ever had. So all these things that I've done along the way have shown me I'm on to something. Yeah. I'm on to something. Sure. On. My TV show. Yeah. They said I was ahead of my time back then. I look back at my TV show now. I was talking about the disenfranchised middle class white men back then. Yeah. I just didn't know what I was talking about sure. yet. So, um, so I go to ABC and so I pitched them this TV show about how I want to draw the lines, the similarities, the mm-hmm. humanity between the regular people and the celebrities. Mm-hmm. And then I and I was going to create a show where where celebrities could come on and and uh, handle their own image instead of like the stuff like TMZ and everything was so out of control. I'm like, yeah. they're going to be excited about coming on because they're going to be able to talk about what they want to talk about, who they really are, and I'm a safe person to do that with. Which is why the Hope Trumps Fear storytelling event worked because I'm safe. Yeah. Same thing happened when I hosted later. Larry Flint came on. Yeah. And he was so afraid I was going to attack him for porn, and I wanted to talk to him about what it was like to take a bullet for something you believed in. Yeah. So my mind never goes to judging people. It goes to finding out why they do what they do and empowering people. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think about starting a podcast? I have. I just started my I Am Sue Costello podcast, the new version of it. I just did like, I have like 11 episodes of it. Uh, can people get them? Yeah, they can get it on iTunes and at my website. So back to ABC. Yeah. So I pitched the show, I pitched the show, I pitched the show. Now they want me to take over for Katie Couric. Katie Couric is like an empathetic. Yeah. I've talked to her. She's nice. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so they're like, oh, you mean like Chelsea Handler? And I go, no. I wanted to do it. Yeah. But I wanted to do this show that I wanted to do. Not Chelsea Handler. Not a, you didn't want to be bitchy. You're not that person. I didn't say that, but I'm just not that. She'd I wanted to be me. She'd be fine with it. Okay. I just wanted to be me. <laughs> That's all I've ever wanted to be. And everybody's yeah. like, no, you're them. And I'm like, no, I'm me. And you seem pretty you. You've always seemed pretty you. I don't know how, who was arguing that, but I believe They you. all have been. <laughs> Yet they all, and, and to their defense, like they did put me on TV. Well, what, the, what happens is, is when you have a big personality, an expansive personality that is not narrow, they, they just project onto you. 
Do you, yes. you know what I mean? Like I, I, I used to think it was stifling, but like it's misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. They don't know the breadth of your uh, compassion, your emotions, your empathy, whatever. They just see you as like, oh, you're that girl. You're the girl that talks like that and you kick some ass and that's great. Oh, which is funny too. So we were talking about the defensiveness in the beginning. So what I realized is that I am kind inside, but when somebody would attack that kind of kindness, because that's what I'm realizing about human nature is that people attack the love. And I talked about this on the seven years ago about about love being the only answer. And people talk about that all the time and everybody's like, what does that mean? Yeah. And our aversion to love. This is what the aversion is to love. This is what I've been doing for seven years. It's that we attack it in each other because we don't believe it's true. So as much as when something bad's happening, we say this isn't happening, same thing happens when something good is happening. So we attack it. We And so the people that are being attacked take on the attack mm-hmm. and act out from the attack. Uh, so yeah. you can talk about that from the sexual, you can talk about that from the physical. Right. You become what happened to you and you act out on it or you become quiet and you become complicit. Yeah, in either way, those can be mistaken as personalities and they're not, they're reactions. And, and, and the flip side of that is the people that are doing the abusing do the same thing. They create this kind of monster that's separate of them, separate from the experience so that they can commit the crime and what they're doing. Right, yeah. I, I used to do, I have a line, a joke that I used to, I think I did on my last special where I said, it, it was something I wrote down. Uh, uh, well, it's hard to manage the monster I created to protect the kid inside. Exactly. Yeah, I get That's it. what my play is all about, about the scary monster and this idea that I have been projecting all the things that have been happened to me from my own body. And this is your way of purging that. So what happened with the ABC deal? So ABC, I met with them, I met with them, I met with them, and then I was like, I'm not coming here anymore. They don't yeah, get me. Right. And it was a big risk because... I didn't have any money. Yeah. And I remember when I walked, but I walked out of there and they were like, we know, Sue, you're a badass. If we don't get on the Sue Costello bandwagon, it's going to take off or whatever. And I'm like, whatever. And I leave and this big, huge wave comes over my body and it goes, well, that wasn't very feminine. Mm. If I went along with what they were trying to do, which was make me into what they wanted me to be, that would have been feminine to me. Mm. That's how I've been socialized. Were they women? Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so you, you thought like, I should believe them. On so like you know that's what their idea was that you should just go along with. Who it. am I to say no to a bunch of powerful there we go. ladies? There we go. Yeah, there we go. Right there. I want to say it. that very slowly. Okay. Who am I to say no? That and you gotta get rid of that question. It just it just hit me so deeply. Like the same thing with men touching you. The yeah. same thing. Like who? It's so ingrained into our brain. Who am I to say no? And this people pleasing and this caretaking men and this uh-huh. all this stuff that socialized into us. So in a way I was still doing the dance, like I'm gonna tell you not to treat me that way, but then I want you to take care of me. That kind of that's the other thing. Men are supposed to take care of you. Oh, which yeah. is making me laugh so hard. I'm like, men can't even tie the fucking shoes and we're like abdicating our power to them. Like that um, and the reason why everybody's so mad is because they have built their their careers on our backs. Men have built their careers on our backs. So everybody's like screaming at the men like you can't do it anymore. I'm like, well, they don't have a plan B. That's all they know. Like you got to, yeah. we got to talk through it. We got to figure out a solution, not because right. they're getting more mad. Patriarchy's a motherfucker. They're getting more mad. Literally. Sure. Literally a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so I leave ABC and I say, that wasn't very feminine. And I go, well, I better pay attention to that. Because mm-hmm. if I never had left ABC, I would have continued in the repetition of thinking that that's feminine. Yeah, yeah. So then last summer, and then IFC saw me on stage and they were like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I never saw a woman on stage talk about what it's like to be a woman without being angry. Mm. And so I started realizing, I'm like, the reason why I'm not angry is because I processed it all before this all started happening. So yeah. I don't, I'm not it's, getting re-triggered by what's going on in the the wisdom public. of age thing. Yes. Yeah. And also of, I don't know, because age, sometimes if you don't grow, can can 
doing the collapse work. on doing you. the yeah, work. yeah yeah can collapse on you well I just always knew I wasn't going to settle even though I didn't know what was going to come of it mm-hmm. I didn't want to settle and I knew it was going to be painful and I knew I was going to act out I'd be, you know I'd make mistakes yeah. and I'm like but isn't that living yeah yeah sure so course. I went against everything that everybody was trying to do which was put us in a box yeah and I went through that whole t- hard time I went when through what the world and everything yeah what yeah. this world's going through I went through that personally yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Was, I was concerned. There was no need to be concerned whatsoever. Because and the other thing I wanted to okay. So the other thing that they so they wrote on the WTF that I did. They wrote she's a cunt. Yeah, don't we? Don't. No, I need to tell you. I need to say this. So they said she's a cunt. She should be thankful for the old lady and the therapist that were helping her. And yesterday when I listened to it, the old lady. You mean on the comment board we used to have? Yes, okay. and so the old Not lady. Not there anymore. Go ahead. The old lady and the therapist, I told the story of how the therapist and the old lady were take, trying to take advantage of me financially. Mm-hmm. And they said, what a cunt. She should be grateful that they were helping her. Mm. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? I was speaking up for taking care of myself financially and I got called a cunt. Mm. That is what happens in the world yeah. all the time. Yeah. And then I researched the history of the word cunt. Uh-huh. How was that and Initially, it was just a just like vagina it was just a word for uh, yeah. private parts yeah. and then Shakespeare made it crude but not derogatory uh-huh. but then during suffrage is when they used it as a derogatory mm-hmm. so that's what they're trying so that's what so when so that's I'm like when it's stuck that's when it's stuck <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so they use that to try to do that and I'm like whatever I don't care what you call me I don't care you yeah. can tell me I'm great you can say I don't care so um, but I will walk away if you talk poorly to me yeah but it's not going to affect me because I walk away. Yeah. So anyway, so they do the ABC. I leave ABC. So then last summer, IFC is like, I never saw that. And I'm like, okay, something's happening. Something's happening with what I'm doing. And I remember Colin Quinn saying to me a long time ago about when I did this joke on stage about how we're ruining the men. Yeah. We're turning them into women. And Colin's like, keep going with that. So, so I've added it all up. And I'm like, this is what's becoming me. I am Sue Costello. So last summer, I was like, all of a sudden, I was sitting at my desk. And there's been so many, like, you want to talk about... I don't care what you call it. I don't care if you call it God. I don't care if you call it love. I don't care if you call it the force. It will guide you if you let it. Mm -hmm. And it's very quiet. And it's not loud. Loud is ego. Love is quiet. And I keep thinking they they have books about people saying when they die, it's all about love. And everybody's like, what does it mean? What does love mean? It doesn't mean this childish, like everything's going to be awesome love. It means exerting yourself like the book the book the road less traveled it says love is an exertion Mm -hmm. love is non-attachment they even do it in weddings but does anybody ever listen it's like it really means like you go the extra mile it doesn't mean you let people treat you like shit it means you go a little further Mm -hmm. you just go and that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to i am i'm not trying i'm going a little further to see if maybe I can affect some change. So I was sitting at my, I was like, what should I do? What should I do? They want me to do a talk show. I don't know. And then I, it just came, the voice came to me, go to Les Moonves. CBS. CBS. The big guy. The big guy. The guy who first gave you the deal. Yes. And the reason why I wanted to go to him, like life can be very simple and it's all about not in your intention. You're not judged on your intentions, but the intention behind your action is what causes your effect. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I wanted to go back to him because he was the one that helped me first because mm-hmm. that's who I am. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about purity? So I just email him. Mm-hmm. I say, Les, will you meet with me? He goes, sure. I flew myself to LA. I didn't even have money for a flight ticket back. That's how much faith I had. And what happened? I fly to LA. Where'd you go? Where'd you meet? In his office. Mm-hmm. And I sat down and I told him what was going on. I went for advice because yeah. I was like, they want me to do a, a 
talk show. And I don't know if I should do another sitcom, but I'm ready to do something. Because I definitely have my point of view and I'm, you know, I have the experience, everything. And so uh, he was like, you have to do a sitcom. And so then we were sitting there talking in his office. And then all of a sudden at one point he was like, you're a really good person. Mm. And I was like, uh, I may, yeah, I don't want to be greedy. I, my whole life, I've always said this. Even when I have my TV show the first time, I'm like, yeah. I don't want a plane. I don't want to, I want people to love each other. That's yeah. what my mission in life is. So then uh, all of a sudden the, in the room, it was amazing because it turned it went from almost like, and everybody kept saying to me, who are you going to meet with? God? That's amazing. Going to meet with God. And I kept saying, he's not my God. God's my God. And then I thought, isn't that interesting? That's what a lot of people, a lot of have this vision of this like white male God. And then I'm like, what is this image of what we have to sure. be this God, right? This powerful person. So I was like, and the reason why he gave me my deal is because I, I always treated him regular. So, I, so I'm sitting in his office. He asked me how I've been making a living, which at the time I didn't realize wasn't a good question. Yeah. And so I purposely, purposely said to him, I've been broke. Mm -hmm. Most people would never say that because you're afraid, A, that you'll be embarrassed or, or B, that they'll take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. And I consciously said, let's see what he does with that information. And it was so amazing because in the room, it went from me meeting him to him almost like trying to get me to work with him. Uh -huh. And then he stood up and his whole body shook and he was like, I think you're ready for what's about to happen to you. So what's the deal? Executive producer, star of my own TV show. That's great. And so then uh, then they flew me out there. I pitched the idea. And at one point they told me, we don't know who's going to write it because you're just the actress. Hmm. I said no. And then they kept like, they was so what I'm realizing is what's always happened to me is so I have this, this power. I have this, I'm funny. I can act. I can write. And what they do is they try to, like we started talking, like grind you down so that they can, and that's what they talk about when somebody's abusing you. It's what that's what they talk about. They when somebody's abusing you, they want you to fulfill all their needs without any reverence for what the subject's needs are. And also, they 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 never really understand what you do, and they've got a system in place. So they the yeah. system is that's what I'm so sure. so. What I did was I got the system out of my body, and I went back into the system. Mm -hmm. So the well, system doesn't affect me. I get it. Yeah, you don't give a fuck. At, I fucking lived with an old lady. Not only that, I made the show about that. So then, so I went through this whole process with them. Not only that, so so I had this woman who was a, a intellectual property attorney. She's like, because they said I was gonna, they were flying me out there, uh -huh. and they were like, uh, we need you to sign something. And I'm like, okay. And then they said they didn't want me to sign something. The intellectual property lady said, no way. So you're not going out there without something signed. Take this NDA. Yeah. And she goes, bring your slingshot because you're about to go slay Goliath. Uh huh. And. I'm not just, so I went to the CBS in New York first and I told the woman, I said, it's all about to crumble. Anything that's not built on a spiritual foundation is about to crumble. Everything has to be done with transparency now. This deal has to be done fairly. It has to be done fairly because it's not going to work anymore. And two weeks later, the Harvey Weinstein thing broke. Uh -huh. So the Harvey Weinstein thing broke. Now I'm on a plane going to LA to sit in front of these suits while this Harvey Weinstein, the energy was insane. Yeah. It was so intense. And so I get there and, uh, they say, all right, so tell us your idea. And I took out the NDA and they did not like it. They did not like it. Uh huh. They were like, we don't sign an NDA. We don't do that. We don't do that. And yeah. then a whole lot more went on, but it, they, they did sign it. Uh huh. And then I ended up going, doing research with all the attorneys and how much they were just told. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, we're in the middle of this Me Too thing. You'd think that they, they would be holding their act together now. Yeah. No, it was worse. 
Hmm. The attorneys, like some of them, like one guy, he's a huge attorney, cornered me in his office, physically cornered me in his office because he yeah. wanted me to sign a contract signing away all my rights because they see what I have on my hands. And, and what happens Cornering is- Cornering you in, in anger, not in- it, Almost not even in anger, in frustration. This is what I was able to real, be pragmatic about too because I was like, oh, he was so mad and frustrated that I wasn't doing what he wanted me to do that he physically, he lost his, his sense of any reality. Mm-hmm. That I could sue him, that he's a lawyer, that, that we're in the middle of this whole- yeah. And that I'm Sue Costello and I have a big mouth. <laughs> yeah. But so he stood up and then I, do, and I was so, so this is what I mean about not becoming what they do to you. Yeah. I picked up my bag and I looked at him and I said, can you step aside because I need to leave the room. And his whole body crumbled because he was woken up from that scary monster moat and yeah. he was like, what did I just fucking do? What did I just do? And he chased me out of the- He said that? Yeah, and then he chased me out of the place and I was like, and yes, could I have sued him? Could I have done, yeah, but I don't want to do that. I want to get a TV show made. I want to do business and I want to make money. So that's all I kept focusing on. I'm like, because I could have went down the rabbit hole with all this stuff and then like, and I didn't. If I get angry, then the thing that they want me to do, the TV show is gone. Exactly. So it doesn't even logically make sense. You're like, why would you want to make somebody that you need their essence to make you money? And the thing, the cool thing about CBS is like, I went to them, first of all, because I wanted to go back to less, but also- the whole time they were doing all this to me. So then finally I was just like, why don't I just fucking write the script? Two weeks I wrote the script and I took everything that they did to me and I put it in the script. So now I have a show about what goes on between men and women in suits and a sitcom that's hilarious about everything that happened. But I'm going to negotiate. I mean, my dad was a labor mediator. And the cool thing about it, so I transcended everything with my dad. So now I can transcend it. I'm getting the help from my dad because I don't have all this anger towards my dad anymore yeah. and he's helping me through this whole thing like when the guy pushed me in his office he got so mad I go dad don't be my dad be help me with the negotiations and then he's like oh oh I get what you're doing oh I get what you're doing he goes you don't need me he goes I you just need me to tell you to keep going and the last time I was home he's like Sue you're the best negotiator I've ever met in my whole life and I'm like <laughs> look at that so if I can get the respect from my dad and then I'm like okay so my dad doesn't know what it's like to be a woman uh-huh. So why would I expect him to know? My dad doesn't know that when he puffs up and acts scary that he scares me unless I tell him. So we've been in this mode of like, they puff up and act scary and I don't tell them. And then this abuse, this abuse of power is existing because it's set up that way. It's almost breeding it. So I'm like, well, why don't I just try to do something different? And I've done it with my dad. My dad's puffed up and I've been like, dad, what it sounds like you're doing is this. And, he, and then he turns into like a German shepherd puppy dog. And he's yeah. like, no, I just felt like I let you down. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God, do you know how many years it took me to be able to have the words to just say it feels like this? Uh-huh. And then he feels free because he's, he's not meaning to do what he's doing. And I'm not saying that I'm defending the men's behavior, but somebody's got to do something to fix some of this. And, and even guys now, they're like, I don't even know what creepy is. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they really don't know what creepy no, is. No, they need help. Yes. Yeah. And so I created this show that's going to help all of us, not just. Well, good. I'm thrilled. It sounds great. So this is happening. You're doing your one-person show. I'm doing the play. I'm going to keep going with the play. So I got the play. I got the... And then this documentarian came and they wanted to shoot a documentary about the play, about everything that I'm doing. Great. Like, so where, how can people find you Sue doing stand-up? Co- doing stand-up. I just headlined Vegas uh-huh. and Reno. Uh, SueCostello.com. Good. Yeah. It's nice seeing you. It's nice seeing you too. Thanks, Sue. Thank you. Uh, as I mentioned, go to you could just go to suecostello.com for for everything you need to know. 
You can go to her GoFundMe at GoFundMe.com slash I am Sue Costello. But uh, try to find Sue. It's always invigorating. Yes. Uplifting. Also wanted to uh, to mention that my uh, a friend of the show and an old buddy of mine who I've known for a million years, Jimmy Tingle, I just read an article that he's running for office. I didn't even know it was happening, but my old buddy Jimmy Tingle is running for lieutenant governor in Massachusetts, and that's a that's a, a beautiful thing. He's always been, you know, concerned about politics. He's always had a political voice. And I just want to say, uh, you know, fucking good for you, Jimmy. You're walking the walk and it's beautiful. Congratulations. Best of luck. So Jim Gaffigan, uh, he's been on the show actually several times. It's always good to to see Jim. We talked about some pretty heavy stuff, uh, but he's always funny. He's got a new special. It's called Noble Ape. It's playing right now in select theaters. Yeah. And you can also get it on iTunes, Amazon, and other digital platforms. Theaters. Go see Jimmy in a theater. All right, this is me and Jim Gaffigan catching up. Jim. Yes, sir. You want to pull the mic into your face like, yes, you, sir. like you know what so you're doing? So we can hear it. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah? I'm good. So you're out running around doing the thing? Running around. Yeah. What is this, like the 19th special? No, this is the uh, sixth hour. Sixth. I mean, well, we all did those, you know, there's the Comedy Central ones, right? I didn't do an hour for them. I never did. I've done four specials. I've done one for Netflix, one for Epix, and another for Netflix. And then uh, the rest were CDs and then a half hour special. But I've only done three, though they were 70 minutes and one of them was 90 minutes. Yeah. What's yours coming in at? This one, I think, is like 72. That's about right. Yeah. But this one's called Noble Ape. Noble Ape. And uh, so I haven't talked to you in a while. I ran into Adam Goldberg. Yeah. And we went out to, um, he came out with us 4th of July. We have a yearly uh, couples date on the 4th of July. Ah. We, we go to a party. Yes. Uh, the Me and Sarah and Roxanne and uh, the, uh, what's the, what's the little kid's name? Bud. Bud. Bud the kid. Yes. Bud the kid and Adam. Best name. Bud Goldberg, right? Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> it's the best name. It's a great guy. He's a, yeah. it's a great kid. He's a good kid. But I, I just had no idea what like the last time I talked to you. I have no idea what's happened. I don't yes. know what happened to the television show. I didn't know about Genie Sickness. Yeah. I didn't know like uh of what you've been doing. It's, like have you had three more kids since I've seen you? Uh still just five. Okay. So how did what happened with the show on T V Land? Well, what happened with the show is uh, Jeannie and I were executive producing yeah. and writing, yeah, uh, and Jeannie was directing, yeah, and we have five young children, and frankly, it was uh, it was you know it was a blast and everything, yeah. but it was also insane. Uh, insane it's just well you've been there it's it's an insane, not with five kids but i can't imagine that a, part it's an insane balancing act right and uh it, you know it's one thing to have one parent working full-time but yeah. to have two gone for sometimes 16 hours a day it's just it's just irresponsible right and so for me it was an easy <laughs> emotionally negligent it, it was a it was a, an easy Child, decision my, almost child abuse Yes. Well, you know, also we would, you know, of course you're not working absolutely every single day, but on those days off, yeah, I just wouldn't get out of bed, but she would be out doing things with kids, right. the kids. And so it was a pretty easy decision for me, but for her it was rather difficult because 
She was directing. Yeah. She was executive. It was like she was the mama bear. It was like. Right. On both fronts with the and, family and with the show. And so it was uh, a hard decision for her. Yeah. But in the end, uh, a pretty simple one because uh, in the end you. You know, you don't want to suck at parenting. I mean, right. So inevitably, your, everyone fails. But like, right. Don't want to. But it was your it was your decision, pretty much. You, it was I both. Mean, you, I mean, the two of you. Yes. But, yes. Yeah. yeah they definitely. would. Have, they would have done more. I think they. Pro- you know, who knows? There, there's probably some iteration because there was the balancing act of like there was some discussion. They wanted to go to like 22 episodes. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Which would have been insanity. Yeah. Totally. Um. But yeah, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't even know if TV land is still called TV land. Right. No, I know. It's hard to know. Um, and it was, uh, but that show was unique in that we were, and you know this, doing a semi-autobiographic yeah. show. Yeah. But you you know, imagine doing a semi-autobiographic show where your, uh, your significant, your partner is also portrayed so it's not just you like i don't care if i'm portrayed as a schlub but you're playing you i'm playing me <laughs> yes and yeah. someone else is pay- playing her so yeah. it was it was very complex yeah and then you had a few fake kids fake kids and... but my kids would slide in here and there oh with <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that so that ended and then you yes. just you just went right back into to writing stand-up it was it was a, a piece of joy uh, working on stand up and not writing episodes and rewriting episodes and worrying and about stuff a like crew that. and everything else. Yeah, and um, but yeah, and you know, I got some acting roles in films, and uh, it was it was great. And then uh, last April, was discovered uh, Jeannie had this huge brain tumor, the what? size of a pear. Get at the, the really? at the base of her skull, like oh right my. where all the cranial nerves. God. And so, uh, was it, what, 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 yeah. were there symptoms? I mean, like, did, she, how'd she find out? What what happened to to make you realize? Well, she was at the pediatrician. She, uh, you know, I was probably out of town. She brought in all five kids to the pediatrician. We have this amazing pediatrician. Uh-huh. And the pediatrician, she said, uh, she was talking to Jeannie. She goes, you're favoring one ear. And, and Jeannie's like, oh, I can't hear out of this one. And the pediatrician's like, that's not normal. And she goes, I just assumed it's exhaustion, you know, five kids. And and so the pediatrician sent her to uh, an ear, nose, and throat person. And that ENT, you know, like for a month, there were like these hearing exercises that she was doing. And then he was like, you know... Uh, you know, it sounds paranoid, but I think we should do an MRI. So they did an MRI and then they found this huge mass. Oh my God. And it was crazy. Dude. It terrifying. Was crazy. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Oh man. So and what, what was the, what was the prognosis? What had to happen? So it was, it was just an immediate case of find out a plan, you know, determine yeah. a plan. And you know, there's. You know, I think Jeannie's in the process of writing a book about it, but it's, uh, you know, you immediately go into, there's an amazing calmness that comes over. I mean, everyone listening to this has had a family emergency Uh like this. And, you know, you just, you know, try and make the best next decision. Well, you know, how'd you handle it with the kids? Well, we, uh, the, the older ones, we told them. How old are they? They were, uh, they're 14 and 12 now, so they're probably 13 and 11. Yeah. And the younger ones, we said, mommy's got to go in the hospital for a procedure. Yeah. You know, and so, but it was surreal. You know, it was like a good, you know, uh, 
good month where I thought she was going to die. It was just like, it was pretty obvious that it was not looking good. And From what the doctors were saying? Well, the doctors are always, um, they're diplomatic. It's very interesting observing doctors because they are, um, in a way, they have to be diplomatic. Yeah. They can't be, they can't embrace, they can't be you and I. They can't right. be the cynic. Yeah. And go, right. it's yeah. all going to fail. Yeah, it's, a, it's they, over, pal. <laughs> they have to be. <laughs> Take her home. You know, because one of the first questions, you know, Jeannie asked was, uh, am I going to die? And the doctor's like, I don't think so. Uh-huh. And you're like, all right, so then I'm turning around and spinning that to my children. Your mom's not going to die, but here's what's going to happen. Right. And so, but the reality is, is that, you know, uh, a huge mass around uh, the brainstem is not good. Like all these cranial nerves that control everything from swallowing to a blinking of an eye, facial slouch, uh, highly likely uh, was all there. We didn't know if the tumor was benign or not. So we're going into this. And there was just complications beforehand, you know, Uh, like they have to, I mean, the technology is insane. They build a map of the brain through MRIs and then, you know, they go in and there's, you know, this team of surgeons and one of them's on this nerve that controls uh, the ability uh, to breathe, you know, like how the brain- Just a guy for that. There's just a person on that. Wow. And so- uh, and so we, uh, you know, sh- we got lucky because some of the material of the tumor was sticky. I remember the, the, the surgeon saying it was a sticky material. Therefore, they could pull it away from the cranial nerves. But it's, you know, some of it is, I, you know, I, it was a blur. You know, I'm existing in this blur. I'm trying to organize. How many surgeries? She had two, one, one to cauterize it, meaning cutting off the blood supply. Uh-huh. Uh, and then another one, and then she's had a surgery, you know, because half of her, uh, she had paralysis in the vocal cord. So, like, she can speak, but she had a feeding tube. She had a tracheotomy. She had the whole shebang. And she couldn't speak. She couldn't eat for, I want to say, it felt like a year, but probably a month. Can you imagine, like, being married to a glutton like me and not being able to eat? Yeah. So she had to be fed through a tube and like when we would have dinner we'd have to close all these doors so that there was no scent of food going into the room and then i I found myself you know she was like why did you have to do that because if you can't eat if you can't swallow you don't want to hear you don't want to smell you know some burgers being fried so but did they get so they she went through two major surgeries cauterizing and removal yes and they got it all out yes and they got it all malignant benign it was benign Oh my God! But then funny. now she comes out of that, and then she's got this paralysis and the, and, the, yes. and the throat problem. And and so there's just you know the medical science is just it's I can't even contemplate it. It's just so uh, then they did some you know be, she she had uh, severe pneumonia after the that's, surgery. That's dangerous. Yeah, particularly you know uh, essentially she uh, aspirated she the ability to swallow one of right. the cranial nerves was damaged so she was breathing but because she didn't have this instinctive nerve to swallow all the liquid was going in her lungs so therefore she got pneumonia and then when you get pneumonia in a hospital it's really bad because there's a lot of nasty germs floating around um and so there was uh, there was a lot of touch and go moments and and 
what were you you were able to sort of stay strong and present and yeah i mean i tried my best you know it was also it's uh you know organizing making sure that she had uh you know, uh, someone always in the hospital and also making sure that my five kids, that there was some continuity of, uh, familiar face, uh, you know, Jeannie's family really showed up. Yeah. They, uh, you know, they helped. We did kind of like rounds. Like I have all these things that I scheduled and Jeannie really resents it, but there would be like shifts of yeah. being at the hospital with Jeannie and including overnight because you need an advocate in a hospital. Right. And then um, there were also making sure that, uh, you know, my kids would wake up and see a familiar face that was preferably a relative. I mean, it was, you know, we're very lucky that, you know, Jeannie's one of nine kids. So it's like there were moments where you're like, oh, this is why you have nine kids. (laughs) (laughs) So all the aunts and uncles were there. Yeah. That's amazing. And New York. It was all happening in New York. at What hospital? Mount Sinai. Oh, yeah. They were a good cancer hospital. Right. They, I mean the the neuroscience uh division it's just it's amazing. So what now where is she at now in terms of how is she uh what 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 are the physical liabilities as it stands now? Well, you know, she uh you know, she's probably at 80% of her normal energy. Uh-huh. Um if she was sitting here, you might since you knew her or you know her. Yeah. She might sound a little different, but not that much different. Now, like people will meet her, and then they'll find out she had a brain tumor, and they'll be shocked. Uh-huh. But uh, she has a partial paralysis uh, in her uh, vocal cords. But there was a surgery that made it so that she sounds normal. In the in the swallowing, yeah, and the swallowing is pretty much there. I mean. She has to, uh, like, she's not eating salad. Certain things are very hard to swallow. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, like when we were, you know, like for our anniversary last year, we went out and we had a bunch of soups. Yeah. You know, that was like our first time out. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Nothing wrong with soup. No, nothing wrong with soup. Is that, you got I mean, it is July 26th, so finding a restaurant <laughs> that serves soup, they're like, what? How, how is there a 10 minute bit on soup in the new restaurant? No, there's no soup, but there is some jello jokes. Okay, good. <laughs> you know me so well. They're like, I bet you did some soup jokes. <laughs> Got me a couple soup bits. That sounds like the the kernel of the soup chunk. Yes, right. <laughs> but you guys are okay. She's okay, and the kids must yes. be thrilled, and you must oh, be yeah. relieved. Oh, it's just. I mean, I thought for sure that, uh, you know, there was a couple weeks there where I was like, well, all right, I had a fun run, but yeah. I'm not gonna outsource this parenting if it's just me i'll yeah. just be a mediocre dad with too many kids <laughs> did you like did you find like when you were uh, fragile around this stuff who'd you turn to like when you were like you must have broke down a couple times well you know the weird thing is is like uh, but you're midwestern I uh, you know the thing <laughs> is is like i remember the the day of the surgery i had a uh, friend show up at the hospital and i was like oh, you know and he was like you got to talk to someone about this i'm like i don't you know, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. You know what I mean? I, you know, I'm not good at processing things uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Um, I, um, but I'm good at, like, I knew what I, what I needed to do. Right. And it wasn't. That's the most important. I guess really. I didn't think that it was, um, uh, functional to be like, I'm so nervous that I'm losing my life partner. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't like something that I was. And luckily, I never had to get in that position. But I was very much kind of like, all right, I got to make sure that uh, right, my kids that right. have after school programs, right. 
and are picked up. All is all practical, all yes. about you know dealing with yes. the situation, not worrying about yourself. Right. I'm just wondering that if you got to a point where you're like, I can't take it, I can't take it. But you didn't. You just walked well, in. Luckily, uh, Jeannie's family was there, and so it wasn't. It wasn't lonely, right? Oh, it yeah. wasn't lonely because I would be talking to somebody who right. whose sister was in peril, right? Or whose daughter was in peril, right? And surrounded by family yeah. of, of of different kinds. Yeah. Well, good. Man. And there's always food. Yeah, there's always food, which there, is good for you. Which helps me. <laughs> Everyone's bringing food. food plenty of food. Bringing food, eating food, <laughs> a lot of food. Yeah, good. Well, I'm glad that got you through it. So the new, the new uh, special and the album. Thank you for bringing me the vinyl. I do sure. like vinyl. Is uh, how much of uh, how much of it is dealing with some of the stuff that you went through? I would say the first 20 minutes is about it, and if you open it up, yeah, uh, that's it's so interesting that the. Uh, Vinyl, it, it's so yeah, like important it. now. No, I like well, vinyl. no, you're. It's not just you. People love it. I know. Like, I don't think it makes a million dollars if you have it, but people, the people that like vinyl, like to have it. Well, you know, it's interesting. They include the download. Yeah, thing exactly. In there. All the records have the download. So it's yeah. just, uh, and it's a beautiful uh, design there. Yeah, it's Van Gogh. So yeah, so it's like twenty. Uh, I would say you know the first twenty minutes are about that experience, and uh, you know it's. It was kind of cathartic to, you I'm know, sure, dude. And to because it's something it. like you said earlier, like one way or another, eventually or already, people have dealt with this. And and that's what I found when I started touring with the material uh-huh. was I was like, why is this resonating? I was like, of course it resonates. Everyone's been there with mm-hmm. a mother, a father, or a right. loved one. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, unfortunately, I have not yet, but I. I I, I hear about it. Yeah. I got my dad and his wife here now. They just went over to the hotel, and you know he's he's going to be eighty this year. Yeah, and like I just went on a you know, we went on this little hike, and I just I, it, there's that moment where you, if you don't see your folks enough, like yeah. where I see him trying to get up this hill, which isn't even really a hill, and I'm like, yeah. oh no, it's happening. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> he's fucking eighty. I think it's I think it's really interesting how human beings we can't live because we all experience it. Uh huh. And we can't live in that reality for too long. Like we have to like get out and right because uh, we can't live in the reality. I mean, Adam Goldberg, kind of uh, who I love, lives in that sincerity of that the mortality. Fear? Yes, I think so. Yeah, but it's a most of much, us, yeah. most of us can't. No, and my, we shouldn't. My dad's more like Adam, which is a drag, you know, because he, he's, he's he doesn't do enough and doesn't get out much. He doesn't like enough things, and he just sits. And he just thinks about uh, you know staying alive, even though he's not having a very good time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh... he's miserable, but he wants it to keep going. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think it's fun to live in this denial. I mean, I I think that like you'll see you know someone uh, in the news that's passed away, and typically most people have the reaction, uh, "Thank God that's never going to happen to me." Yeah, or you know not I mean? yet. Yeah, no, it's horrible, but uh, but yeah. But no, but also like, you know, you've surrounded yourself, you have all these wonderful kids and then, you know, you're in, in a situation like this, I imagine when you're really dealing with what life is, you know, yeah. in, in both realms, yeah. like, you know, coming and going and, you know, tragedy and, and, you know, and hope and everything, you know, but you see them growing and like, you, you've got, you've got a whole world of life around you. Yeah. Where, and this was one of those things where it's sort of like, well, this was a scary reminder. Let's go back to eating in Disneyland. Right. Or <laughs> let's go and uh, seize the moment and enjoy ourselves. Right. You know, like travel and see things. That and you're doing that? Do. I'm trying to do that. Good. 
So, well, tell me about the 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 sort of the special in that. Like, I noticed it's not Netflix, and you know, that's yeah. rare. Yeah, it is rare, right? <laughs> what did they they did? What did you decide that like? How come you're giving that guy a billion dollars and I'm getting you know a nickel? Was it well, that kind of thing? No, you know it's it's I do have uh, a some specials on there. Yeah, and I was presented uh, different options from the. The, the usual suspects that make offers, yeah, and one of them was Netflix, and one of them was Showtime, and one of them was all these different things. We're all co- all comedians. We're all waiting for when's Amazon and Apple going to get into this? And are, you, was, are we waiting for that? I think they're. I think they should get into it. And you one mean of into them, actual? Pro- well, Amazon's already into production. I don't think Apple is. But to to take to to have a, an additional outlet for specials uh-huh. because. But anyway, so I was approached by, you know, Brian Folkweis, you know, uh, these guys. And he is like, I'm doing this uh, model where it's uh, it's going to be available everywhere yeah. on the same day, you know, not like a special. And then maybe we can release a, an yeah. album six months later, it, all on the same day. It'll be on demand. It'll be on iTunes. It'll be uh, on Amazon. And I was like, all right. You know, I mean, granted, he made a good offer, too. Yeah. But it was... It's interesting to release a special, and you know this, having a Netflix special, because, you know, when it's available to everyone, it's not confined to just the people that have Netflix. So there's a lot of people that are consuming it. Like, I don't- uh, You mean when it's not on Netflix? When it's not on Netflix. It's fascinating to see people- Like Apple, you can go to iTunes, you can go to whatever. And to see all these images, because on Instagram, people are sending me all these images of how they're consuming it. And some people are in a theater, some people are in, uh, you know- It opened as a film? It was in a couple theaters. Oh. So not like, it wasn't- in theaters as like we're gonna make all this money in theaters right. i think it was kind of like everywhere you rent or buy or right. watch things right so and that was an experiment i think that was part of the deal that they came to me with and i was like all right i never really contemplated this being like eddie murphy's you know right uh theatrical had, release. Had, did a lot of people go see it in the theater i don't know oh. i don't know i i don't know I know some people did. I know that we went and did a screening because Jeannie directed it, and there was there were people in there. Oh yeah, which was fun. You know, they're so like, she's what are back you doing at it. Here? She's she yeah. directed it post. She directed it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But so the decision not to do Netflix was to to have a, a wider market more immediately, and also have a little more control over. I imagine the promotion because you don't know if something's going to get lost on Netflix or yeah, or if it's going to get buried or if it's going to get seen. Yeah, and also I have specials on Netflix. No, I know. Yeah, and so it's, uh, but yeah, some of it is like I also feel like people, um, you know, consume it in different ways, and every year. Every couple of years, it changes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like Comedy Central is the most important, you know, and HBO special is right. unbelievable, and right. it changes. Well, yeah, you know, it's just like now, it's just you want people to see it, and you don't yeah. know how they're going to see it, and then, you know, and then it's about press reaction, I guess. It's, I, I don't know where people find time. You're lucky if somebody makes the time. Right. You know, and it's sort of random. You know, there are people that love you and are going to watch everything you do. But then it's like, you know, there are people that are just going to be like, oh, look at this. There's a thing here. Right. Yeah. You know, and I don't know how the, how, who, how how it works. Yeah, I mean, I'm a comedian who enjoys, like, consuming specials, and I still haven't watched a lot of my friends' specials. Yeah. Like, the last one I watched was Chris Rocks, which was great. Yeah. But that's been a while. 
Yeah. I watched Maria Bamford's last one yeah. recently. Yeah, it was, it I'm was, sure it was something. Great. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, she's a genius. Yeah. But, uh, well, I will watch yours. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll at least listen to the record. There you go. That's a whole other different experience. So it's available everywhere at this point in time. Yeah. Noble Ape. Yes. And you guys are good. You'll We're say good. hi to Jeannie for me. I will. And and it's strange. You hit on her the first time we did the show. Matt, do you remember we did the first show? And I was like, is is Marin hitting on my wife while we do this podcast? It, wait, that, wait, that was at Air America, though, wasn't it? Like way back? It was the two that years was like in New York. One of the early ones. One of the early podcasts. That was really early. I, I got See, what, what I did, maybe I misread something, because I'm pretty sure your wife was flirting with me. That's possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. It's good to see you, man. I'm glad good everything. To see you too. I'm glad everything worked out. Thank you. There you go, Jim. Jim Gaffigan, great guy. Uh, Noble Ape is playing right now in theaters. <laughs> I can't, I can't seem to get over that. And you can get it on iTunes, Amazon, and other digital platforms. Uh, uh, no guitar today. It's hot out here, and I'm, I'm doing some work in the garage. Uh, I, I know it's heartbreaking, but you're just going to have to wait. Boomer lives! Boomer lives!